This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, and welcome back to the Sky U Podcast by The Daily Gopher. I'm Chris, go away you fur. With me this week are Blake, Iowa Gopher. Happy to be here. Don't game week. Andy, Gopher Guy 05. Football. <laughs> God. And U Street. Hey, y'all. All right. So, New Mexico State. New Mexico State week is finally here. Unfortunately, as usual, it falls on the Thursday, which I just am opposed to in general because it makes everything confusing. But on the plus side, it's actual football. Uh, Blake, as our resident preview writer for all things football, uh, how about a little background, recent history, get people up to speed on what New Mexico, New Mexico State's been doing uh, in the last year or so in terms of who they are and, and what they're like? Well, I don't know if you've been following uh, New Mexico State football I have not. Uh, recently or at any point in the past, but they've uh, <clears throat> been pretty bad. I mean, like, like really bad. Uh, last year... They were seven and six. They made a bowl game for the first time since 1960, which is a very long time. They've had some rough years. So um, Doug Martin was in his fifth year at New Mexico State. So it's kind of a it's historic season for them to be in a bowl game and to be just seven and six. So uh, they're they're flying high, um, but we'll see how this season holds. Obviously, last week they had their opener against um, Wyoming, which we'll get into later. Um, but it'd be interesting to see if they can kind of build up that momentum from uh, last season's historic bowl game. It's really sad when your historic bowl game involves you beating six teams uh, that didn't have winning records and then going to like triple overtime in the Arizona Bowl. And I say that as a Minnesota fan who has very few things to cling to. They say whatever it takes, okay? Seven and six. I was going to say, the, I mean, they were good enough to go bowling and Minnesota wasn't, so take that for what it's worth. Yeah, I think their schedule is probably a little easier. Um, all right, but what does New Mexico State do well? Like, from, from what you've been looking at, what do you think they do do the best? Uh, well, <clears throat> last season, what what they did well was passing, and that was in large part because of their senior quarterback, Tyler Rogers, who I believe is in – no, I'm not sure if he's in the NFL now, but um, – he, I think he passed for 4,000 passing yards last year and 27 passing touchdowns, but um, he was helped a lot by the wide receiver, Jill Scott, who I can confirm is now in the NFL. I think he's with the Ravens, but he's on injured reserve. He was a 1,000-yard receiver, but a fourth-round draft pick. Um, so that was, they leaned very heavily on their passing offense. Um, this year they've got um, or play, a new quarterback, which we'll get into later. That's not something they do well. Um but I would say I think that the, the fact that they have passed heavy offense, they've kind of got that wide receiver arsenal that you see at Texas Tech where they've got you know five, at least five wide receivers that have 50 receptions. So um, they've got a senior, Jonathan Boone, and the two, two juniors, O.J. Clark and Anthony Muse, 
that will be there through our wide receivers that we'll see a lot of um, this Thursday just because they are a pass-heavy offense. Obviously didn't have much success doing that against Wyoming, but um, I would take that Wyoming game with a grain of salt just as Wyoming had, I think, the seventh-ranked defense in the country, according to S&P Plus, last year, and they returned, I think, eight starters this year. So um, I think it's safe to say Minnesota's offense will struggle um, in their first game out against um, Wyoming. So I think this uh, this Thursday will be more of a – we'll see more preview of what um, New Mexico State can do. Um, uh, on defense, they return most of their starters. They lose um, their star linebacker and I think one starting safety. So they've got a lot of experience coming back. It wasn't really uh, – what I would say an elite unit last year, um, I think they were 60th or lower in all the, in all defensive categories, um, for the year, but, um, they do just have a lot, a lot of experience coming back. Um, and they were able to hold Wyoming fairly well in check. I mean, 29 points, they lost 27. So I mean, the offense just wasn't contributing much. So the defense did probably about as well as, well as it could. Um, but that'll be interesting, I guess, to see on Thursday is how and kind of an experienced defensive unit plays against a very inexperienced Gopher offense. So it could make things a little interesting early on in the game as the Gophers kind of figure things out. So I thought it was interesting that when I realized that in the second quarter they actually held Wyoming to I think 1.5 yards per carry or something. It didn't hold. They weren't able to keep that up the whole game. They got pretty well gashed in the second half. But you know, for a while there, they were actually performing pretty well against the run, which obviously with Craig Bull as the head coach is, is Wyoming's strength. One Wyoming two is replacing um, uh, Josh Allen, who's with the Buffalo Bills this year, their star quarterback. So both offenses were really kind of um, replacing their star players. So I, it was really the kind of the defensive battle that I, I think most people were expecting. But obviously Wyoming's defense is a little bit better than New Mexico State's. All right. So, what what does New Mexico struggle with? Um, either what did you know? What did they? What would you expect them to struggle with coming in from last season, or based on the Wyoming game, where do you see them struggling? Well, I mean, if you look at the Wyoming game, I think they gave up about 300 rushing yards to uh, Wyoming uh, running back Nico. Not not so much Nico Evans, but he was their leading rusher for that game. Um, so obviously, there's much opportunity there. If, the Gophers can kind of translate that. They're, they're in a kind of a similar situation, whereas Wyoming didn't want, really want to lean on their redshirt freshman quarterback um, just because he had that much experience. I think he had kind of a ho-hum game. Um, so they really leaned on their rushing game, and eventually that's what was able to wear down that New Mexico State defense. Um, particularly, I think, it, tackling once – their offensive line did a really good job opening up holes for the running game, and once the running backs got to the secondary, the secondary is not very good at tackling at all. Um, so you see a lot of a lot of breakaway runs there. Um, I think that's obviously a big opportunity for Minnesota because I I feel pretty confident in. I know some people don't share this, but I think that the offensive line returns enough experience from last year that they could have a strong start to the season. Whereas in other positions on the field, like wide receiver, quarterback, they don't have that experience. But um, I really think that there's an opportunity for Minnesota to establish a running game on Thursday and get Roddy Smith going because to me this defense is the kind of one that's going to wear down over time. Um, throughout the game, so I think that's an opportunity that the Gophers could take advantage of. Um, on offense, obviously the passing <coughs> offense was not great against Wyoming. Again, great assault. Wyoming's defense is very good, but uh, at one point there, their starter, who's a junior college transfer, Matt Romero, um, I think he finished with 140 yards passing with one touchdown, um, but they didn't score a touchdown until, the, until their last drive of the game. It was 29-0 uh, to that point. 
Um, so I think Minnesota's got to keep pressure on him. The Cowboys, I think, sacked him three times. Um, the Gophers are going to need to do the same. He can't get comfortable because, like I said, they've got – this is a pass A offense. They're going to pass no matter what. And if he's comfortable back there, he's going to find some open receivers because they do have some pretty good guys. Nothing like the uh, um, wide receiver they had last year, Jalil Scott, but I think they do have some solid guys that are going to obviously rack up some receptions. So um, Obviously didn't do a lot of well offensively last week, but again – Great assault, but we'll see. We'll get. I think we'll get a better idea of uh, what our offense is going to be like this Thursday, especially that now that they've got one game under their belt, which is an advantage the Gophers don't have. I think we'll take, see them take it a little bit of a step forward. Yeah, that was my big impression uh, from trying to watch the game on Saturday night. Was just the offense sucked. Like they they went into halftime, they were almost negative yards going into halftime, but then they finally got a first down, like with 15 seconds left in the second quarter. Um, and I turned the game off at that point. I was just like, well, I'm sure whatever happens in the second half, I can read recaps and get the gist of it because this is really a boring, boring-ass game to watch. Um, what were you, what was your kind of takeaway? I know you didn't get to watch it live, but watching some of the highlights, you know, looking at the, the drive charts and whatnot, what were your impressions of uh, coming away from the game besides what you've already shared? You know, I just think it was your typical Craig Bolo team that, you know, obviously if they – they don't have quite the passer that he's used to, so they just basically grounded their opponent into dust, both offensively and defensively. I mean, that defense, just, it's hard not to be impressed by that performance, regardless of the amount of talent that's missing from uh, New Mexico State's offense that they're having to replace. But, that, I mean, that's just a bad combination. An offense that has a lot of holes against a defense that doesn't have very many and is, is very experienced. So, um, yeah, not, it's, it's just hard to take a lot of takeaways from a season opener just because it's two teams that are just kind of filling each other out. Um, but I'll be very interested to see uh, what kind of steps forward they take on offense this Thursday. And to me, the, what's going to keep the New Mexico State in the game is that experience on defense, because like, like we mentioned, they were able to slow Wyoming down at times, but I mean, when your offense is getting off the field so quickly, that's going to wear you down eventually. So to me, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how the Gophers on offense attack this defense and prevent their own defense from getting tired. So. We'll, we'll see what, what happens. That's a, that's a really good transition um, to what are we expecting, what are we watching for from the Gophers. Um, I think the obvious answer is, hello, Zach Anikstad. Welcome to the starting job. Um, but we, we can talk more about him in a minute. I guess my first question for you all would be, what are you hoping to see from the offense? And, and let's go to, to Street to start this one off. I am hoping to see the offense roll New Mexico State because if the Gophers are going to be any good this year, they should roll New Mexico State. More specifically, I'm hoping for a couple of things. One, I'm hoping to see wide receivers get separation. That was obviously a huge problem last year for any wide receiver not named Tyler Johnson. Secondly, I'm of course hoping that the offensive line is able able to better open up holes to allow Rodney Smith to run the New Mexico State defense ragged and three i'm hoping to see tanner morgan because the gophers are winning by such a score that it makes sense to put in their second string andy what are you looking for yeah you know i think i'm looking for a lot of the similar things to street you know i'd like to see the the gophers show that they uh you know let, let zach anikstad show why he uh he won the job you know let him go out and and show a little bit of a downfield passing game um, you know, we all know Rodney Smith will be fine, and and if he wants to go for 250 yards and four touchdowns, that's fine too. But it'd be nice to see, uh, you know, the the offense and Kirk Schrock out there trying a few different things, and 
obviously, you know, the first game of the year, they're not going to pull out the entire playbook, save some stuff for the Big Ten. But, um, you know, Joe, Joe Annex had with an ability to hit some receivers downfield, try some different routes, things like that. And, you know, uh, everybody wants a route. If it's not a route, you know, we can talk about that later. But I'd just like to see them, you know, try some things out against somebody else or, than their team and uh, try and see uh, what this offense is actually capable of. Yeah, I think for me, I'm I'm going to be looking a lot at the offensive line as best I can since I am not an offensive line genius by any means. I'm going to just be looking for, you know, no stupid penalties, um, the ability to try to create some some push and, and the holes that you guys talked about, and pass protection, avoid giving up sacks on a on a young freshman. I also would like to see Seth Green do something acrobatic with his giant frame because that's just fun. Uh, I guess defensively, um, I'd kind of like to see the new defensive backs show us something. Um, you know, as uh, Blake talked about, obviously New Mexico State wants to be a passing team, and we have a lot of young players in the in the secondary, a lot of new players in the secondary. I, I'd like to see what they're capable of and see see some guys step up besides uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. Um, Street, what are you looking for from the defense? As Blake mentioned New Mexico State is a bit of a pass-happy team. How pass-happy, given the changes in personnel, is probably to be seen. So I'm looking for two things. First, I'm looking for at least three sacks from the defense. If it is the case that the defensive line and the linebackers are improved from last year, three sacks seems reasonable with how Rob Smith likes to be aggressive. Secondly, because it's a pass-happy team, I'm also looking at our defensive backs. There is a lot of questions back there outside potentially Antoine Winfield. So how do the new players integrate with the offense? Are they able to play well as a unit? Will Jacob Huff continue his streak of getting lots of cool acrobatic interceptions? Andy, how about you? Yeah, to sort of double up on that, I mean, I think we've heard a lot from um, from B.J. Flack about how uh, Easy Otomayo and and Winston Labadaba the year guys slaughtered that. I apologize. Um, you know, have looked and Carter Coughlin has looked more comfortable in his role. So yeah, definitely seeing some penetration from our defensive ends and getting some pressures and sacks would be key. Um, you know, the other thing I'm going to be curious to see is this is the thing the Gophers had the most trouble with at the end of last year. Even though New Mexico State is a passing team, isn't so much of a running team. Um, if you remember towards the end of the season last year, the Gophers were just getting gashed left and right by runs off tackle to the sidelines. They just couldn't figure out a way to to stop the run that way. So it would be interesting to see if uh, New Mexico State has watched their film and they try and run some, take some runs to the outside parts of the field early in the game to try and set a tempo. And if they do, uh, see if the Gophers have figured out how to uh, stop that and not let that be a same problem that plagued them a year ago. All right, so let's get to Anikstad, um, since Lord knows running a true freshman is going to be the topic of conversation coming out of this game, regardless of how he does it. It'll get beaten to death. What do you think some reasonable expectations are for Zach Anikstad in this game? Um, and let's, let's start with you, Blake. You know, seeing as he's a true freshman, this is his first college action. Uh, I'm going to keep expectations pretty low, you know, 50 percentage, uh, completion percentage, um, maybe 150 passing yards, one touchdown, um, 
just keep things simple, you know, just be a game manager. I'm not expecting him to go out there and, you know, light it up. Or I mean, if he does, great. But um, I think mo- most importantly, it's just important to keep a reasonable expectations for this game and not get too too out of hand. I mean, from watching, like learning more about New Mexico State, hopefully the rushing offense can kind of take control and give him some time to do some play action maybe. But, uh, yeah, just keep things, keep expectations low, and then you're never disappointed. Andy, are you feeling, uh, you know, reserved like that? You know, I don't think we have to be that reserved, but I think something that would make everybody feel a little bit comfortable if he can go out and at least sort of play it a little bit better than a, uh, you know, an early Mitch Leidner level. Um, you know, I'm looking for maybe like 60% completion rate. And, you know, the main thing I want to see is he, he's a freshman. He's going to make bad throws. He's going to make mistakes. But I don't want to see any just like total absolute bonehead mistakes where he you know, looks off coverage and then throws directly into the chest of a linebacker or something like that. You know, if if you're going to throw an interception on a contested pass, maybe he throws up a a jump ball he shouldn't have, that's fine. You know, those things are going to happen. But just try not to make the obvious mistakes that, you know, true freshmen are are want to make sometimes. If we can avoid those, um, I'll feel pretty comfortable in in the rest of his game. Um, But... You know, I, 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 like I said, it'll be interesting to see how unchained uh, P.J. Fleck and Kurt Chiraka let him be. Obviously, if the Gophers are dominating with the run game, I think it'll be a, a pretty uh, muted game plan. But uh, I think everybody in TCF would love to see him open it up and, and uh, do some things that we haven't seen for a while from a quarterback. Since everyone who has discussed Annex Dead's performance has mentioned a percentage completion, and percentages without knowing absolute numbers are somewhat confusing. Do we expect that he will be throwing double-digit passes in this game? I would and, think so. Yeah, I would. I would assume yes, given that they've built the reason that they picked him as the starter, as the dude who can throw. Uh, also, because we probably are worried about um, you know running Rodney a little too much and getting him hurt. I wouldn't say he's going to throw high more than high teens i would i wouldn't be shocked if he threw you know 20 or less but yeah i'd expect double digit if he throws more than 25 something went wrong so you think he's throwing between 20 and 25 alternatively if he throws if he throws more than 25 something could have gone really really right like if he keeps passing the ball well i could see them you know going back to it just to give him experience well, and I think it'll be interesting to see. This is where it comes down to the game plan. That's yeah, I I I see him, you know, probably in that 16, 17, 18 pass range as well. But I could also see if they're having, you know, good luck doing those sort of six yard move the ball down the field type routes. I could see him end up with twenty five, twenty six pass attempts if uh, if you know he he's doing well at those intermediate seven yard routes and the Gophers are marching down the field. Um, I have a feeling you're not going to see more than three or four fairly deep balls out of him that game because I think they'll want to. I think they're going to keep a little bit of a leash on him just because they don't want him to get too overexcited, and that's where you're going to get your big mistakes. But uh, no, I, I wouldn't be surprised anywhere from that you know sixteen to sixteen to eighteen, sixteen to nineteen type range would be what I would expect. So you know if I'm asking for sixty percent, I'd, I'd love to see a you know a ten for seventeen or something like that or better. That'd be that'd be nice to see for me. I think y'all are being a little too uh, uh, 
modest about your expectations. I, I, I'm going to put something out here, and I just want to be clear that I am entirely serious, in no way being facetious or sarcastic. Everyone should totally take this seriously. Uh, he better go 20 for 24 for 5, 15, 6 TDs, or I'm going to be pissed. And I should note that those four incompletions will actually need to consist of uh, two interceptions, one of which is a horrible overthrow, one of which is a horrible underthrow, and then both incompletions uh, must skip in front of the receiver's feet because everyone must be made angry by a quarterback at all times in Minnesota. Also, tight spirals 1,000% of the time, or he needs to be benched immediately, and then we need to resurrect uh, the eligibility of Ricky Foggy and bring him back and put him on the field. That is my expectation for Thursday night. Well, I can't wait to hear your post-game recap and the great takes less feeling. Really looking forward to that. If he does exactly that, I will be just amazingly happy, and I will never let any of you hear the end of it, because obviously at that point it was a totally serious prediction. Um, Actually, I'm going to piggyback off of Street's question really quick. How do you think we choose to handle the running backs? Like, do you think they give Rodney a lion's share? Do you think they try to mix in the backups quite a bit? Like, uh, you know, how do you think they're going to handle that, given that we don't really know for sure how the backup situation looks quite yet? I can see them either going, giving Rodney the first two or three drives, or, I mean, it'll depend, too, on, like, how long the drives are. Like, if they, if they, if the first quarter ends and they've only had, um, you know, one or two drives. Maybe they start second quarter with Mojave Ibrahim or Bryce Williams. But I think the it sounds to me like they'll kind of play it by year, uh, depending on how the drives go. Maybe it's like they Rodney's out there and it's just not going well. They need a spark, something like that. So I don't. I'd be surprised if they go in with a set plan. I think they'll just kind of play it by year and um, see how the game flows. Yeah, you know, I I definitely would agree with that. I think they. I think obviously everybody knows the primary back is going to be Rodney, and he'll he'll get most of the carries. But um, you know it'll depend on how effective he's being. If he's if he's getting seven, eight, nine yards a carry, obviously they'll they'll run with him, and then they'll they'll sub in as needed. But uh, you know I would I would you know barring it's a barring it's a normal game, and we'll get into our predictions here in a few minutes. Barring we don't blow him out by thirty five points, I would expect Rodney to get probably seventy five percent of the carries, and then maybe Ibrahim and Williams to split the other twenty five percent, and see if one of them is uh, willing to pull ahead and really take the uh, the number two spot by the reins before the Fresno State game. Speaking of predictions, we might as well just jump right in. Um, I already put mine out there today as part of the. Uh, the how to watch Game Central Brewster Fear Scale thing. Um, 30 to 14. I think I actually originally had it closer, something like 27 17. And then I was like, meh, I don't feel like being that pessimistic about it. So I, I bumped it back out to a little over a 2 TD win, although, albeit not covering the spread. Um, I'm not overly going to be too overly concerned about just how badly we beat them score wise. I'm going to be really looking for what were the reasons we beat them by a lot or a little. It's really going to come down to how things happened for me. Uh, what do you guys, Blake, what's your, what's your prediction? Death taxes and the Gophers never beating this bread on their season opener. I just don't, I think it was it 18 and a half or something. Last uh, cur- currently, I think it's 18 and a half on most sites. I just don't, with the uncertainty on offense, I just don't see them pulling away that far. I think I have them as like 24 or 10, which to me would be a, Good defense performance and a decent offensive performance. So 
I'm always I'm always underwhelmed after the opener, so that's what I'm kind of bracing for. Andy, what about you? You know, I think I'm I'm saying thirty-one seventeen. Um, you know, after after seeing clips of the uh, of the New Mexico State performance against Wyoming, I thought for a minute that seventeen might be too high, and it still might be. But uh, the Gophers are going to be playing enough young guys that I think there's going to be sort of some young guy jitters and mistakes out there. So, um, you know, and and as as Blake was saying, the Gophers never seem to. You know, the spread isn't important when it comes to the games. They always seem to give up a few more points and a few more yards than you might think. So um, I think the game will be a little tighter than most of the fans would would like, and I'm sure that'll be their number one complaint Friday morning. But uh, I still think the Gophers win pretty handily, 31-17. Street, uh, if I recall, uh, your prediction was a little more optimistic than everybody else's. Yeah, 31-3. to three. And why, why so confident? New Mexico State did not look like a tremendously good team against Wyoming. They also played them less than five days ago when the game actually starts. The Gophers will be on full rest. We'll have at least a week of actual game film, which New Mexico State will not. And the Gophers did not do tremendously well in the last four games of the season. But if we recall, did quite well last year in the non-conference, and I don't think that the talent level across the board has gotten worse. Fair enough. All right. Uh, Transitioning away from football, volleyball had a fantastic weekend, hosting the Big Ten ACC Challenge at Target Center, incidentally with a pretty cool-looking floor uh, laid down for the Target Center, which, which I really liked. Uh, they went out and swept Florida State in straight sets on Friday and uh, handled UNC three sets to one on Saturday. Incidentally, coming back from uh, usually about 23-20 down in the second and fourth sets to get the victory. And they almost pulled it off in an extended third set. They almost got the three-set sweep. Uh, Rachel is here to kind of give her recap and uh, talk about what to look forward to in the coming week for Gopher Volleyball. Hey, Rachel here. Just going to little rundown for Gopher Volleyball. Just going to go over matches they had this past weekend, my impressions of, you know, who we saw on the court, what they did. And then also we're going to talk about ABCA poll and some other action across the country, wins and losses. And then real quick, go over who Gophers will play this weekend. So this past weekend, Gophers hosted Florida State, North Carolina, and Wisconsin for the Big Ten ACC Challenge, which Wisconsin and Minnesota both won both matches. So first night, Friday, Minnesota played Florida State. Nice, clean sweep. Uh, I think the second set was close. Florida State definitely played, started playing Minnesota a lot tougher in the second set. There are less errors. But, I mean, Florida State and Minnesota, both teams were just really scrappy. And Minnesota seemed to win a lot more of those crazy rallies, you know, which really was kind of an advantage in that match. Um, one player, well, stood out definitely in the first set. Jasmine Martin came in and played really well right away. She had, like, three or four kills in the first set, and she was really holding her own in serve receive, which was good because... Well, and this, you know, happened again the next game. Lexis Hart did not have a great match by any means. She only had three kills and against 
Florida State, she hit negative 125, so she had more errors than kills, which she had never actually had a negative hitting percentage before, so that was not great by any means. So that really hurts when you don't have that production on the left pin. But CC McGraw, a freshman from Prior Lake, played the libero whole match. She played really well, held her own, like made a lot of nice saves. And I mean, it seems like she's really acclimated, you know, to the college game really well. And then the second night, Saturday, Minnesota played North Carolina. And again, Alexis Hart kind of had those issues where, yeah, she had more errors than kills again. But some really nice, had a really nice game from Stephanie Samity and Regan Pittman. Regan Pittman finished with 17 kills. She hit 500 and she had six blocks. So it was another nice match for her. And then Samity had 20 kills. I think she hit over 300. But she just absolutely took over into the fourth set. She had five of the Gophers' last six points or whatnot. It was insane like just to watch you could just tell she was just on another level I mean the best shot in like this little six point stretch or whatever she just tipped it right off the outside blocker's hand and she kind of gave her a little look because she just owned this poor girl she just threw it right off her hands and hit the floor so Minnesota won the point I think that tied it up at 22 and then she just you know crushed two or three more or whatever it was and then Minnesota won the set and that was it because North Carolina really pushed Minnesota, well, I think three of the four matches, you know, were just two-point spreads. And they had a great freshman, Destiny Cox, who well, at first I didn't realize was a freshman. Then I was, like, looking at it, the lineup, I was like, holy cow, this girl is just a freshman. She played well beyond her years. She played all six rotations. She was really great for them and gave us some issues defensively especially. Which, yeah, that was one thing you pointed out he didn't like our backcourt defense so much against North Carolina, but, I mean, it seems like, not obviously just, so, you know, snap your fingers and fix, but they should be able to work those things out, but, yeah, the biggest takeaway was the weekend was, from the weekend was the Alexis Hart struggling, and then even, Jasmine Martin didn't have as great of a match the next night against North Carolina, but that could really haunt Minnesota going forward. I can't imagine that these struggles will persist for Alexis Hart. She just never really got into the rhythm, it didn't seem like. But really need her to be steady like she was last season. Because I still, you know, I don't think Asmund Martin, I don't know. I think she still seems really streaky to me. So, you know, we need to have at least one good outside hitter who can, you know, score points all the time. Because, I mean, I think if Alexis Hart was playing normal Alexis Hart level, then, you know, it wouldn't have gone to a fourth set, and those sets would have been as close. Uh, another, well, key reason why Minnesota won the other night against North Carolina is Hugh used double substitution. So freshman Paulina Schweider and Sarah Nielsen came in for Samantha Selger, Swenson, and Stephanie Samity. So you're taking out two All-Americans, throwing in these girls fresh off the bench. He used it in two of the sets, and it worked perfectly. Schweider got a block. Nielsen served an ace in one set, and then otherwise she set up Regan Pittman, who she didn't, well, it wasn't the four set, but she took over into the set, which I think that was set three when Minnesota lost, but she was doing all she could. But yeah, double set substitution worked perfectly for the Gophers, and imagine we'll keep seeing that over and over again as 
season wears on and you know Seliger Swenson is front row and it's a one two point game and need that better block up front so it was great it worked out the other night for the Gophers so you know got two wins under their belt now they have a little easier this next or this weekend they host tournament at the PAV they'll play North Dakota State Georgia Southern Arkansas which none of those are contenders in their conference so probably definitely see a lot of different people off the bench and probably three or four different players on playing outside so obviously we'll see Alexis Hart and Jasmine Martin but I imagine Claire Sheehan the transfer from Iowa will get another chance and maybe Adonna Rollins will play all six rotations she played I thought she played really well coming in freshman playing DS she held it down in the back row pretty well. There were a little breakdowns here and there, but I was impressed to come in and she played as well as you could hope for a freshman. Um, some other matches, or even conference competition, Nebraska lost to Florida, and then they beat Oregon in their tournament they hosted, which they are without Lexi's son, they're transferred from Texas. So imagine... Would it, I think, yeah, they got split by Florida. Would have went a little differently if Lexi's son was available. But that was kind of a big upset. And then Kentucky, who had been in the top five, they were ranked. Oh, where were they? Or not in the top five, they were in the top ten. Yeah, they were five. They lost all three matches. I think it was out in USC. They lost to USC, they lost to Northern Iowa, and they lost to Creighton, which nobody would have picked that at all. So they fell all the way down to 16, but because of Nebraska losing, Minnesota moved up to number three this week from four, and then Florida moved into number four spot, and Nebraska just fell to number five. So yeah, it's Stanford, Texas, Minnesota, Florida, Nebraska. So, I mean, all those teams, you know, very early, a lot of things they can improve on. Obviously, Minnesota, left side production is a concern. So hopefully that will kind of get worked out this weekend if, you know, they can. It's not as pressure-packed situations this weekend, not as competitive teams they'll be playing. So good opportunity for improvement, get some girls off the bench, get some reps. So if you're in town, those games are Friday and Saturday. Otherwise, they'll be on BTN+. Plus. The weekend after will be the real test for the Gophers when they go play Stanford and Oregon. Otherwise, they got time now to work out some of these issues, get Alexis Hart on track. That's all I have for this week. I'll have a full preview of this weekend's tournament up Thursday. Thanks again, Rachel. Uh, everyone, if you haven't had a chance, make sure to check out uh, the recap that she also posted uh, on the, the Daily Gopher on the website. Uh, and give that a look as well as any previews she has for us in the coming week. Question time. Back again. Question time needs no other name. Uh, okay, so Thursday games are weird, and they happen, and thankfully only once a year. The interesting thing is it does open Saturday up uh, to be exactly what you, whatever you want it to be for college football. You don't have to worry about the Gophers, so you can kind of focus in on anything you want. Uh, what are you guys looking forward to 
um, for the first college football Saturday with real teams, not the crappy ones that played this past weekend. Wouldn't I be looking forward to the first college football Thursday? Uh, but we already assumed that that's happened. Like, we're going to get a win. After the college football Thursday, what are you looking for in college football Saturday? I'm actually going to look for a brief bit of mourning, which is that Vern Lundquist will not be on the call for the Saturday 2.30 <laughs> SEC game. And that will make me very sad. And I don't really care what comes in terms of what they've decided to be the voiceover. I think it might be Brad Nessler is now on the call. But if they don't introduce Saturday with Vern Lundquist's voice, that will make me very, very sad. On the plus side, I am looking for a lot of wildly outlandish expectations, both positively and negatively, based on the first game of the season. Is whoever, I mean, assuming it's Nestler or whoever, are they still pairing him with Gary fucking Danielson? I do not believe that Gary Danielson, I don't know if he's changed his middle name or not, but I do believe he is still <laughs> on the commentary. Damn it. But you, could, you do get to look forward to Minnesota native Jamie Yerdahl being the uh, sideline reporter in that crew this year. So, you know, small, small little victory on that if you just listen and look at her and ignore Nestler and Danielson. That's only a, a good small, reporter. That's only a small victory if, you know, she bashes Danielson's head in with a frying pan or something to shut him up and then goes up to the booth and puts her good reporter skills to use as a much better second voice in the booth. Because, oh, that man. Vern Lundquist was the only reason I could put up with that man. And now I just, I shudder to think about the SEC games. Well, then it's a good thing we have so many 230 games already in the schedule this year, so you won't have to watch. Touche. I will... I will say in defense of the Thursday night season opener, one, I think it gives the Gophers increased visibility than it otherwise would. They got, they'd get lost in the shuffle on Saturday. Granted, not a lot of people are paying attention to New Mexico State, Minnesota, but still, it kind of separates them. Plus, it also gives me an opportunity to just spend that first Saturday just basking in a day full of college football. And you know, I can watch you know, Miami LSU or Michigan Notre Dame. Actually, I'm looking forward to Michigan Notre Dame just because I love, I love traditional college football rivalries, and I think it's great that that's that game is back, and I'm ex- I hope it's a good game. But I just love that first Saturday because you know we got we got the Gophers out of the way. That was on Thursday. Hopefully it was a good victory. We can kind of relax and just enjoy a day of college football. No, I, I agree with that, and I mean, un- unfortunately, when we're talking about exposure, you know, Minnesota gets more exposure when they're actually playing decent teams. You know, un- unfortunately, we're going to be even a complete afterthought in the conference because we're facing off about 45 minutes before Purdue and Northwestern actually play a conference game the same night. So, uh, classic uh, we'll, rivalries. We'll, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll be, we'll be a little eclipsed by, uh, by an actual big 10 conference game. And especially since, uh, Fitzy is playing, playing games with, uh, he, he announced earlier today that, uh, you'll find out who's going to be their starting quarterback at eight Oh seven Thursday night. So, you know, he's, he's doing that whole gamesmanship BS, but, um, but no, there are a couple of games I am looking forward to. I am, I agree. I'm looking forward to Michigan, Notre Dame, just for the, uh, the, the meteor to take out Notre Dame stadium. That will be fun and watching <laughs> both fan bases go up in flames. Um, and then to see if, uh, Iowa with all their disciplinary suspensions can, uh, can hang on and, and, 
beat a surprisingly maybe okay Northern Illinois team. Um, I, they shouldn't have trouble with it, but it's not like Iowa hasn't had trouble with those first uh, non-conference games in the past. So um, we can all sit back and see if the Huskies can uh, pull off the first early upset of the year, and we can all laugh. That'd be fantastic. I have a shameful admission. I may not watch a single college football game on Saturday. Well, guys, this podcast has been fun, uh, but... I'm, I'm going to be in Seattle uh, visiting my brother, and there's a decent shot we'll be in Olympic National Park with no cell phone signal on Saturday. <laughs> so that's a new thing for me, missing the first college football Saturday of the year. Instead of planning my ass on the couch for 16 hours, doing something like, you know, partially athletic and outdoorsy. Well, if it makes you feel better, and I'll set this up to bring it us to, on to question number two, there's a decent chance I not, might not be watching any early games before the evening anyways, because I may be at the Minnesota State Fair on Saturday. Oh, but see, that's the great Minnesota get-together. You can, that's never, you should never be ashamed of that. Oh, I didn't say I was ashamed. I just said I might not be watching football during the day. <laughs> uh, okay, speaking of the fair... Favorite fair food, uh, and I'm going to jump in it ahead of time and say Blake is not allowed to talk about the Iowa State Fair because apparently he has been there a lot more than the Minnesota State Fair, and I'm tempted to say that makes him a horrible person, but he's been outlawed from talking about Iowa State Fair food uh, because, I don't know, 20 minutes of mocking Blake just didn't feel like the way to end this podcast. I like the recurring uh, segment on this blog where one of us acts in the most Minnesota way possible about something, and I'm glad this week it's about the State Fair. I, I mean... I should say, to be very clear, that you are objectively and subjectively correct that there is only one State Fair. There is a thing that happens in <laughs> Texas... But it's really just an excuse to watch Texas and Oklahoma play football in a different stadium. And, I don't know, combine the colors of red and orange on an afternoon. But other than that, there is but one state fair. There may be something in Iowa that we would consider a county fair. That I am willing to accept. But not a state fair more broadly. Uh, And incidentally, because Minnesota State Fair is so good, I find that Minnesotans tend to be much more aware of their own county fairs. Uh, whereas everyone I've ever met in Ohio is like, oh, that's right, there's a county fair. And I'm like, hmm, that just shows your state fair is terrible. All right, best thing you've ever eaten at the Minnesota State Fair, or I I should say consumed. It could be drank, it could be uh, a beverage of some kind, or it could be food. Uh, Street, what is the best thing you've ever consumed at at the Minnesota State Fair? The seventh free sample of some kind of meat <laughs> because I figured out how to work the system. Okay, okay. D- do tell a little bit more in detail. <laughs> well, it turns out that there are a lot of people at the State Fair who are totally willing to just go get you another free sample of something. <laughs> and while the thing says you personally can only get one, it does not say that you can only eat one. So wait, you get your free sample and then you just kind of go, can I have another? No, you get your free sample and then you find someone else in your party, hopefully who's a vegetarian, who will go get you another free sample because they are getting their first free sample. And you repeat this until you feel like you've eaten, for example, one full hamburger. 
So when you go to the state fair with like seven people, it's not because you want to spend time with them. It's because you want to abuse them for their free samples. I think the people who I've gone to the state fair with over the years would tell you that I'm probably not the most state fair of state fair people. So yes, if the trade-off is I get what is functionally free food and I don't have to pay $12 for that privilege, yeah. Also, Sweet Martha cookies. (laughs) All right, Andy? Uh, for me, it's the uh, deep fried pickles, just the plain ones, not the weird cream cheese ones or the Cajun ones. But I, uh, they they are my thing. I have to have at least one or two orders every time I go. And uh, I have tried, I have searched high and far and wide at restaurants all over Minnesota, all over the Midwest, all over the country to find a deep fried pickle that comes even remarkably close to the ones that you are getting at the Minnesota State Fair. And I have failed miserably. So, um that will that will be the thing and and since this is the first year i'm uh, presumably taking my children to the fair um there's 27 new beers this year and i plan on drinking all of them uh i'd like to say that with our next podcast we will have a wonderful eulogy for our dear friend andy who will perish uh during his attempt to bring the boys to their first state fair uh, godspeed to you andy We hope you have a wonderful time in the afterlife. Thank you for your sacrifice. Uh, Also, um, apologies in advance for anyone who's run down by Andy or his children. Uh, Are you you still taking them? Is there a stroller involved in this or are they wandering? Uh, No, no, no. We are not. We are not that stupid. Um, they, They seem to have boycotted the stroller lately, so it'll be a wagon. So it's slightly less offensive than running everybody down with the stroller but uh but yes we will try to avoid having uh two and a half year olds wandering freely in a crowd of two hundred thousand people so um it, it will be a bit slower paced than i'm used to and it will be a bit more uh kids activities than i'm used to so that's why i just plan on being buzzed the entire time and then it'll be i'll be okay <laughs> All right. Well, if, it, if it's if it's a wagon, maybe you'll live, but your your uh, the back of your, your your knees and possibly your your Achilles tendons are done for. And I wish you nothing but good health in your wheelchair for your future endeavors. Uh, Blake, I guess since I, we've outlawed the Iowa State Fair, what would you like to consume at the Minnesota State Fair? I have one question: Are there fried Oreos at the Minnesota State Fair? Of course, there are fried Oreos at the Minnesota State. On Fair. a stick, you philistine. Then I'd always go with fried Oreos. That's the you can't go wrong. I love Oreos, and if you fry them, it's just that much better. Yeah. Okay. For me, I'm going to do the cliche sweet Martha cookie only because uh, while there are amazing other many many other things to eat at the state fair, uh, my favorite memory of the state fair as a child is discovering the joy for the first time of the sweet Martha's cookie stand close by to the unlimited milk stand. And uh, whether or not that's the best thing I've ever consumed, I'm sure it isn't, uh, there will never be something that surpasses, in my mind, the joy of getting uh, a heaping pile of cookies and then having enough milk to drown yourself in while eating them. That's just to be cherished at all times. So should I bring up the fact that they sell that cookie dough at Target and so you could go buy yourself a pack of cookie dough and a gallon of milk for like... 20% 20% of what it would cost you at the fair, or should I just not not bother saying that right now? Uh, so I know I mocked you and your children 
just now, but why do you have to ruin the memories of my small childhood? Andy, I can buy a guitar, another guitar, a bass, drums, and a microphone, but I do not become the Beatles as a result. <laughs> so you're saying that Chris will become a rock star by eating overpriced cookies? I'm saying that Sweet Martha cookies are good for approximately nine minutes. From the time you get them to the time that you have moved on the bus to wherever your car is. And during that time, there are probably very few things that you can eat that are more delicious. And after that specific moment, which is a definite tipping point, they are kind of gross. So you really need to eat them at the state fair very quickly. I need to go to the state fair with both Andy and Alex at the same time. I got to feel like you will both have the most particular routes and I would love to see like you argue over which route is the appropriate route to go through the state fair. Well, again, if you ask anyone who's ever been to the state fair with me, my route around the state fair is how soon can we leave? So I assume by default we will have different routes. All right, now I don't want to go to the State Fair with you anymore. You'll eat my free samples, and you'll make me leave before I get to see who won the Blue Ribbon for Pickles. You know, I, I'm sorry that I'm ruining that joy in your life, Chris. I mean, <laughs> Gedney will make them into real pickles that'll sell across Minnesota, and there's a song and everything. How, how could you not want to see that? Okay, I hate you all. There's not enough, not enough love for the pickle Blue Ribbon. No, no, that's not. Uh, yeah, Andy humors me. I drag him to what? Which building is that in the craft annex or whatever? Yeah, I believe that is where that was. Where we spent way too long a couple of years ago. I drag him to the craft annex every time. Why are we going here? I want to see the pickles, Andy, and possibly also the pies. If you could eat them, it would be so much better. But I agree. Can't. They're behind glass. It's like the worst tease ever. Oh, God, I miss you, Minnesota State Fair, so much, so much. And with that, my longing for food on a stick that will go unfulfilled, we come to the end of this week's SkyU podcast. Thanks again for listening uh, as we kick off Season 2. Uh, excited for everybody uh, for, to watch some football on Thursday night. Go Gophers, SkyU Ma, row the boat.